Hey there, and welcome to Dear Fandom, where the things you like sometimes suck, and that's okay. So, I'm Megan. Sorry. I'm Hillary. And today we're going to be reviewing uh, the start of the Viewers universe, which is uh, Kevin Smith's 1993 or 4? Four. 4. 4 movie? Clerks. <laughs> oh, God. I've been, I've been saying 1994, and then the second I record, I'm like, is it 1993, Megan? It could be. <laughs> Just say it. Even though your brain could be wrong. <laughs> Uh, which is written, directed uh, by Kevin Smith and does have him in a supporting role as one of the most famous characters in the Viewers universe, Silent Bob. Yes. Um, so uh, what do you... Uh, so uh, we both watched this movie over the course of the past... We've, we've both seen this movie many times, but yes. we both refreshed ourselves over the past week to sort of be, you know, up to date in this discussion. And I did some kind of Googling and researching around, read some articles. And this movie's really interesting because it was made for... Okay, so what's your average film budget, Megan? Like, your average indie film budget? If I had to guess, I mean, I'm not I'm not very up to date on how much filmmaking costs, but I assume uh, based on, like, salaries for your actors and your, like, crafts and services table, plus your cameras and your film... An indie film, I'd say like maybe between like 75, maybe like 75 and 80K, depending on how long you're shooting for and like what kind of cameras you're going for. I feel like it's a big, big uh, expense for whoever the director is because, or the producer, because it's, you know, the the crappier the cameras, the less likely it is that you're going to get some kind of notoriety from it. Yeah. That's that's actually like more in the ballpark of uh, I thought you were going to say a much higher number. So uh, this number won't come as much of a shock to you, but it was made for twenty seven thousand dollars. That's still exceedingly lower than I expected. (laughs) Imagine being like, so how much am I getting paid for acting in this? Well, I will tell you at the end of filming. (laughs) Um, You see that ham sandwich over there? And you go over and you break it in half. Here you go. And they're like, and then like somebody comes up and they'll be like, that's 225, please. And you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> come on, man. So because of this, um, because of this budgeting, um, Kevin Smith filmed this at the convenience store where he worked. And the gag of the um, gum being jammed in the locks is simply to cover up the fact that they could really only film at night. So after the store was closed. So <laughs> I actually did not know that. That is so sm- I feel like I've known a lot of like the, the you know the fun facts of this movie. Like I know the reason it was shot on black and white. Yeah. And like I know that Kevin Smith's wife uh, like interviewed him for this film uh, like uh, with the New York Times and like all this stuff but I did not know that fact. That is amazing. Yeah, so that was written in and the whole sh- continuing shoe polish joke was written in simply because of the fact that he was working there during the day and filming during the night. He slept like an hour a day during the filming of this. Um, mostly unknowns were cast. And yeah, his, his friend, wasn't it? I, I, I thought his friend's group was... It was all his buddies, yeah. Yeah. So, like, um, this, um, this movie was um, known... Um, for its like groundbreaking, like realistic dialogue and the fact that because of its sort of low production value, it had to rely on such a strong script. And it was the first film ever. And there have been a few films since, but it was the first film ever where the soundtrack cost more than the movie itself. (laughs) 
because they I didn't know that either I had had soul asylum they had like a bunch of like 90s grunge bands and they all required payment to license their songs for the film that's I mean that obviously that makes sense but I had no idea that this was one of the first movies if not the first movie to cost more in terms of copywriting uh the songs to be used than to uh, like on the cast and the film and the crew and all that stuff that's amazing yeah <laughs> that's commitment to an art though that's something where you're like as a director you're like okay I really like I have this vision in my head I think that the music is and, and I absolutely agree that the music tells this very specific story of these very specific people in this very specific time period oh yeah we'll get to that later <laughs> and I, I, I don't I, I'm very glad that Kevin Smith if he was gonna splurge on one thing it was the soundtrack for that film yeah, exactly. I, I think that's such a, like, a nice detail and it's such a, like, a crystallization of a time period piece, mm-hmm. which I think we should, like, totally seg into the fact, into the 90s factor. I really think we should seg into the fact that this is a dated film. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would hesitate to say that any film that's set in a specific time period in which it's filmed is a dated film. Like, Mean Girls is a dated film as well, but that's just because it was filmed and set in 2004. And if you show that to a freshman... <laughs> coming and be like so this is what high school was like and they'd be like you thought you like like wait what and you'd be like no 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 no. we're not trying to say that that high school was like the african savannah you know i think that's the thing is that it does become dated almost as soon as that time period is over well yeah but i you know i do agree with that too like every film once it's made is dated but this is so specific that a lot of things in the film have been phased out like their video there is one video store left in the world oh yes that's absolutely <laughs> true and it's I'm, blockbuster in alaska <laughs> i and the thing is though so i went to maine with my mom a couple of years ago and they still had video stores in 2016 and i walked in and i'm like what is it here what, am i in a time capsule and uh it's crazy because if you go to the quick stop in leonardo where this is this because this is a real location it's a real it's a real deli. Um, you can really go in. And there's a the store that was the video store actually is completely and totally uh, like abandoned at this point. Um, it's, it was it was though. I mean, this was a few years ago. And if you looked in, you could see like, you know, just video cassette, like uh, like the blockbuster kind of cassette holders. And it was just it very much felt like a time capsule. I think that whole entire general building, the, the quick stop, the, uh, the and the video rental store very much felt like a, a piece of 1990s memorabilia that has not been touched or, or, or messed with at all. But then again, it's been a few years since I've been back. <laughs> exactly. I actually have never, which is weird, because I've made my pilgrimage to many a uh, Kevin Smith film location. I'm something of a, like, Megan and I are, like, super fans. But, like, um, you know, I've been to Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash. I've been to a lot of the locations, um where Chasing Amy was shot. I've been to, because, you know, of, you know, merit of living in New York City. But um, I, uh, I've i never been there. And that's, it's interesting how, like, it so effectively captures, captures like, New Jersey strip mall culture without, without like, needing to, like, film the commute there. Film, you just know, like, you know looking at it that this film is set in New Jersey. <laughs> I mean, and what's so crazy, I think, for me, so I am I live in New Jersey, uh, and I have for 
almost almost six years now yeah six years this month mm-hmm. next month um and uh it's it's crazy because like if you look at it so like there's also there are plenty of i mean and by plenty of i mean there are at least one other show that i can think of that's set in new jersey um that's during the 90s and that's the sopranos and that is a very different kind of jersey culture but that's north jersey culture you have a very different and people will be like oh that's not that's impossible that north jersey and south jersey are that different but they really They're truly so are different no north jersey was way more urban than you could possibly imagine uh even if even when the houses are big and spread out it was a much richer neighborhood you i mean back in the 90s red bank leonardo they were not like fancy rich places i mean if you if you look at the if you look at the movie um when they're when they're doing the hockey game on top of the roof and then the guy is like open up the store if you look across you can see it's just an empty vacant lot over there because that's what a lot of property was like in south jersey you got houses and you got empty vacant lots it's very similar to you know staten island culture in the sense that it's it's suburban but in kind of a weird like desolate kind of way the people who live there have just stayed there at that point because their parents moved in or their grandparents moved in and their parents were like, eh, the rent's cheap or whatever. <laughs> and nobody <laughs> left. Exactly. It's this sort of like, um, you you brought up this term before that we're going to bring up later in like a different context because it's like probably the key term um, that kind of overarches this film, which is Arrested Development. Yes. And it can apply to any age group, really. And these people are, you know, people in our region of the United States kind of just stay there. Like Staten Island, New Jersey, like the, especially Central and South Jersey, people kind of just stay there. Yeah. Like, you know, they'll stay in the same house in the same town and just... You know, and I think what's one of the craziest things is that when I use the term arrested development in terms of this movie is I mean it in the sense of like, so this this is a great snapshot. So using the comparison of Mean Girls, Mean Girls is a great snapshot of millennials in high school. Like we I feel like a lot of the us just like looked at that movie and whether or not our high school was like that or not, we all were like, yep, I can relate to this film one way or another. And with Clerks, it's a snapshot, I think, of Gen X traveling from, you know, being a young adult, like late teens into early adulthood in the sense that you're you're trying to find this independence. And I think with Clerks, what it does so interestingly, at least from my perspective, is so Dante is constantly unhappy in the, co- in the course of the film. And it's in terms of his unhappiness, it's just like customers are assholes, people are pieces of shit, you know. His um, boss he's, sucks. His boss, is, his boss co- like had him come in and then completely didn't tell him that he was going on vacation, which is something that happens all of the time to today. It's happened to me. And like, you know, it's just, I think the overall... It's it's what's so funny is is Dante is is desperately masquerading to pretend he's not a misanthrope. He hates people truly, um, but he's just trying to create this facade of like I don't hate people. I have hope, but I think no matter what, everything he does, he's just kind of uninvolved. He just doesn't want to be there. And then on the opposite side, you have Randall, who is absolutely a misanthrope he hates people but he's he's got no qualms about it he's not trying to hide anything he's he just would rather let everyone know how he feels about them and then they can take him as they see or they can go and try to fight him or anything like that randall is someone who i texted you earlier he's like of this id like character he's not ashamed of who he is he's absolutely aware of his station in life and he kind of doesn't give a fuck about it uh and it's awesome to see i think from a cinematic perspective and also from like a viewer perspective because Randall like comes over because they're work you know Dante's in the deli and 
Randall's in the video store and Randall comes over and he has this conversation with Dante uh, like just in the middle of the day, in the middle of the workday to talk about how when Luke blew up the second Death Star, that it wasn't mostly filled with Imperial soldiers. It was mostly filled with contractors and construction workers and things like that. <laughs> and I looked at I looked at Mike and I was like, was this the first time this discourse was introduced in, in film or television? Because I'm thinking about it. And that point has been driven home time and time again in about 300,000 YouTube videos, 65 different TV shows, and at least 10 other movies, you know? Yeah. Because that's the point. They're like, they want to point out that while we all love Return of the Jedi, Luke is a cold-blooded genocidal maniac. <laughs> like... And this is the first time that I've heard this discourse. And I love it because it's followed up with a contractor who probably has no idea what the hell anything about Star Wars is because that was some weird geek shit back in the day. And he goes, so, uh, yeah, so I could have done some roofing and uh, it was for a mob boss. So I didn't do it. And now my friend is dead. And it's just like. For me, I, I miss that kind of connection. Like, you could be talking about something very geeky back in the day, and your aunt or your uncle would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was at the salon one time, and, oh, yep, and then a girl started crying. She cut herself, and you'd be like, this has nothing to do with anything, Aunt Patty. Like. <laughs> and what's so interesting about that is that um, we have two Gen Xers having this sort of what is on the surface a mundane conversation, but is really a metaphorical conversation about... Um, their station in life amongst like the greater universe because they are the contractors the builders the whatever in the death star that's what they are and this boomer comes over who's like every man for himself and that's the philosophy of his generation yes and he is like imparting this and they they sort of just look after him like what the fuck was that but like completely missing the whole point of the entire exactly. thing exactly and th and i think what's so amazing is uh like it, it's it, it's, it's the ability to take this overanalyzation of a movie. This was the start of overanalyzing a movie, I think. You mm -hmm. know, like, yeah, I mean, people would definitely, like, you know, you'd probably watch The Shining and go, do you think he was dead the whole time? But nobody back in the 70s was like, all right, so I've... I've uh, got the entire Kubrick library and I'm just going to make sure we go through frame <laughs> by frame exactly what this motherfucker is intending. Whereas like that, I think, I think there was just a, a kind of weird simplicity to the late eighties, early nineties and that nobody wanted to have this discourse about what movies meant. Nobody cared. It was just something you went to the film. You were like, great. I enjoyed some popcorn. I went on a date. I'm going home. And nobody wanted to think about any like ramifications, like the idea that Luke, who is the hero of, uh, you know, of, of the entire Star Wars trilogy at that point. It wasn't a saga. Um, and to, to have the idea that he was someone who blew up the Death Star, which was supposed to be an act of rebellion and, and you know, peacekeeping throughout the galaxy. And instead, to t for Randall to look at it and go, yeah, no, no, he, he murdered a lot of innocent people. <laughs> and that sort of thing ties into his later statement, which is title doesn't dictate behavior. Oh um. my god, I love, I think a lot of the stuff Randall says, I like, I think the way he says it, you're kind of like, god damn it, what an asshole. But what he says at the end of the day is like, it, 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 you do have to go, I guess, like you have a point. The thing is, the thing is, as much as we like, I feel like the audience, um, 
uh, Randall's like an audience, like aspirational. Like Don, if Don, Dante is the audience avatar, then um, Randall is the audience like aspiration. Like we all want to fucking rip into a customer. Like if you've ever been into customer service, you want to be lounging on the video counter and say, "Does it feel good? Does it feel good that you tricked me?" <laughs> that was when I saw that scene again. Because again, I've seen this movie so much, but I think I, the last time I saw this movie was like four to five years ago. So I was in my mid. To early to mid 20s and uh it was just to see that like to see how randall just truly she, he doesn't try to push this customer's buttons she's like see you didn't even know they were different videos and it's just like he like the way he just gets under her skin in a way that like i feel is almost effortless you look at that and you're like God, I wish I were like that because I think anyone who's worked in any kind of retail food service, customer bent industry, whether it's customer service on the phone, customer service in person, customer service via food service, whether you're working at a deli, a, a, a restaurant, a McDonald's, I think a lot of any generation can say they've had a job like that. And we've always been told the customer is always right. Mm -hmm. And I think after so many years, you realize there's a kind of comfortability in like a job position you have. And I think with Randall, he's like, I have nothing to lose by losing this job. So I'm just going to be who I'm going to be. And he, as he, as he admits later on in the film, he's comfortable where he is. He enjoys what he can get away with and he enjoys doing it. And Dante instead takes the opposite path and he, you know, a customer treats him like an asshole or like even the beginning of the film with the, uh, the Chulies gum, the Chulies gum, he's chucking cigarettes at him and he just takes it. Exactly. Because that's what he believes he has to do. And, um, and it's just, it's so amazing to see, like, like, you know, that, that meme, you know, who, who you are and who you want to be like the guy who, the guy who you shouldn't be worried about and the guy who you should or something like that. Like, yeah. that's basically who it is. We're all Dante, I would say, because if all of us were like Randall, there would, there nobody would be working in any kind of retail industry at all. No, certainly not. I think that, um, no, I completely agree with you. I think that, um, uh, Randall is who the audience like aspires to be. We all wish we could get away with that. Like with a man who simply, a man who knocks over a dead woman's corpse and gets away with it. <laughs> and like I said, like with Randall, so then you have the introduction of the two female quote unquote love interests, maybe, but not, like really oh, to be honest, to be honest, Caitlin and Veronica, which is really funny. <laughs> Sorry, I have to just say that. I won't explain why. Um, but Caitlin and Veronica being like your two like conflicting female characters, it's just very interesting because... Uh, Veronica starts off the movie and like, I feel like as anybody's watching, you're like, wow, Dante's painting her nails and they're just like chilling out behind the counter and she's like hanging out with him before she goes to class. And for me, that's just, I feel like that's just something I have experienced before in my life. Like, it's just a nice feeling to watch and it seems so very like, I wouldn't even say innocent. It just feels relatable to this sense of like, I've been in a relationship like that. Everyone I can say like, you know, I think we've all had a moment in one of our relationships where it's just been this really comfortable thing. And with uh, with Dante, what's so crazy is um, I think he's talking to Randall and he says, I'm getting into fights with Veronica because I subconsciously want to have a reason to break up with her so I can get with Caitlin. And I'm literally like, man, if like, half of humanity was just as honest with themselves as you were in that moment. But then he he reneges on it. He doesn't even, like, he can't go through with it until Silent Bob at the end of the film is like, 
she made like she's a good person she legitimately cares about you and i am so happy that like the the way veronica is i think when i first watched the film i i did i think there is a there was a skewed perspective of like you know she's whorish because she's had she's given like she's she's had oral sex so many times but it's it's also i think it has to do with like your worldview at that point you know you you associate yeah. Uh, well, you know, somebody's self-worth with how many sexual partners they had. And I think as we get older, it's like, good for her. Damn. <laughs> exactly. I feel like when I first viewed, I first viewed this film when I was like a young teenager. Yeah. And I, you know, I was like, oh, it's edgy. It's got lots of curses. They talk about sex a lot. And I hated Veronica. I was like, she's so shrill. She's so annoying. She's just trying to get in Dante's way. He just wants to get with Caitlin. And then upon watching this film as an adult, I'm like, no, she was absolutely right. He treated her like garbage. Yeah. And I mean, she was the one who, when everyone's pelting him with cigarettes, she grabs the fire extinguisher. She does a quick spurt. Not so much as to like cover everyone, but so much as to like calm them all down, like breathe in for a second, everybody. And she kind of takes control of that situation. She sees this like complete uh, chaotic situation unfolding and she stops it. And then she sees the uh, agitator, which is the Chuli's gum guy. And she goes, where are your credentials? And it's amazing because it's this very strong moment. And and I think what happens is, is it's played out uh, in a way that like her strength may not necessarily be an asset because... Dante's got a lot of unresolved feelings for this girl who, and I mean no ill will towards, you know, if Caitlyn is a real character, then like based on a real person, then, you know, hey, we all make mistakes when we're 22. We do. Um, but damn, Caitlyn, take a moment. <laughs> I swear, like, the thing is, like, he's so hung up on this girl who did him so much wrong. Like, she, But she, I think in the same breath, there are some people, and I won't even say if it's specific to women or men, there are some people who truly enjoy being in relationships or, like, stringing someone along because it's just this power dynamic of, I know he or she is going to be into me forever, which is why you have those on-again, off-again relationships, because you know they're like your old reliable, I can go back to that person. And especially when you're in high school and early and like college and stuff i mean i would see the same people break up and get back together 20 times in the same year and you're just like didn't you cheat on each other and they're like yeah we got over it though i mean i i was in a similar situation for much of my young life like so like i completely relate to that there's always this like one person where it's like okay i'll stray from you for a little while but like i know you'll be right around the corner <laughs> and that's and that's like caitlin is in 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 her essence a very juvenile character and like i think what what, what rubbed me the worst way was when she's talked like so i love how throughout the entire film she uses his name sang once but everybody else refers to him as the asian design major which is just such a weird way to like dehumanize this character so when you make fun of him he's not a real person you don't know anything about him other than his major in college and uh and like she says that Sang has gotten an offer for a salary job in New York with a big salary, and I'm not going to want to work if he's making that much money. As if to say that, like, the the reason, it's, like, the logic, I want to, like, if I were Caitlin's friend at the time, I'd sit her ass down and I'd be like, okay, look, what you just said, you said you're going to break up with him because he's going to get a big paying job, which will therefore make you not want to be at home and you want to pursue your education. Yes, it's exactly what I said. Okay, what part of him getting a job prevents you from getting your education? 
he could pay for your education. Exactly, girl. Like, <laughs> like that's the thing. Is it no point should and and I don't and the way it is written is Caitlin doesn't say that he is going to prevent her from getting a job or continuing her education. She just says, "I'm not going to want to work. Why would I want to work if he's making a lot of money?" And it's just, and no, it's such a yeah. '90s outlook. My husband's making a ton of money. There is no reason for me to continue doing anything in my life. Okay, like I gotta say, like. As a person who does not greatly enjoy labor, I would love that's a that's a lit situation. Like hell yeah, like sign me up. I'll marry Sanction. I also like the thing is she's not even saying she's like she's talking about how she wants to finish her degree and she wants to go to grad school. Yeah, those are things you can still do while married. Like it's not exactly it's not no. impossible. Like that's and that's what's so lovely is like if and if he's working in the city, go to Columbia, go to NYU, go to. Any of the many, many colleges in New York. Yeah, go to go to CUNY, save yourself some money. Like, yeah, even so. Actually, speaking of colleges, I was talking to Mike about this, and uh, Veronica on the opposite end. Oh, she went from Seton Hall. Me. Seton Hall, which is, I mean, objectively, you know, it's not. It's no, it's not Harvard. It's not Yale, but it's, it's one of the best colleges in the state. It's a good school. And she went from there to Monmouth Community College, which is. A community college. <laughs> and in the 90s, tuition was not to the point where you're like, oh, I'm saving myself 10,000 additional dollars, you know, every semester by switching here. It's more like I'm, her entire goal throughout the film is to make Dante want to be better. Not to force him, but to try and encourage him. And like, oh, God, me nuts. <laughs> but she gets her happy ending in the sense that I think when when Randall sits her down and explains to her everything, it's it's just I think personally having Randall do it was the way to write it. I think Kevin Smith Absolutely. did no wrong because had Dante been the one to be like, hey, so um, I think we should I think we shouldn't see each other anymore because I hate that very like cop out way of breaking up. Whereas Randall upfront about everything, he's like, yep, he's been talking to Caitlin on the phone for the last two weeks. They talk for hours every night. He's in love with her. He's not going back with you, which is hurtful as hell but she wasn't even crying she's like okay i don't even know what to say <laughs> like i think it's because that amount of truth so many people aren't like they, they, we can't we can't expect like if somebody were to break up with us and be like yeah so the reason i'm breaking up with you is because over the last three weeks i've been talking to my ex-girlfriend we've been having phone chats for hours every night and i'm truly just trying to get you to break up with me because i just don't see us together anymore but i don't want to feel guilt about breaking up so if you could do it like... god and her monologue at the end when she's like her monologue at the end when she's like, if you if you thought that I was getting action before, like, wait until you see me now. I'm like, yes, Veronica, get exactly. that empowerment in. Because she's not ashamed. She's like, I don't give a shit if I've sucked 37 dicks. which Because that's the number that is repeated throughout the entire movie. And in a row? All, <laughs> that is my favorite response to it. She sucked 37 dicks in a row. Like, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, impressive nonetheless. Um, but it's it's... I don't know. It's it's just there's so much about Veronica that's like I, I feel like she's a very real person. She's a very real person who's definitely someone who's who, who looks at who's your very traditional like this man needs to be fixed and I will fix him. I will make him better through sheer goodwill alone. I'm not going to tell him how to get better other than small encouragement left and right. Here's, and yeah, here's the thing. Yeah, to sorry to interrupt you. It's just yeah, like because I've literally been in this exact situation. I moved. I had the opportunity after college to stay in the city that I was living in, but I moved back home 
because I wanted to encourage my boyfriend at the time to get better. We made, I made us plans to, you know, I was like, I'm going to do this. And I sent him like job applications and I like suggested he go back to school. And I just like, incur like I was over all the time and I just like made, I was like, we're going to build a life together. And he wouldn't budge and you cannot change a person yeah. like every when I see Veronica I just see myself because they're 22 in this and I was 22 I <laughs> when I when I was hearing Randall and Dante talk about how they're 22 and I'm just like I think part of me is just like oh boy like, <laughs> because it's just this realization that yeah this may have been filmed in 93 and released in 94 but there was something about like you know I don't know about you, but that's not what 22 is like <laughs> in terms of like when Taylor Swift wrote that song, everyone's like, tee 22 is so much fun. And instead it's more of like this awful. horrifying realization of how hard life can be. I mean, for me, 22 wasn't as bad. Um, I was still in college. I was, I was going to a community college, but I was not in any relationship at that point. Yeah, no, I, I was not in a relationship. No, you weren't dating anyone. And it was great. I would say if there's any way to spend 22, it's just don't date anyone. Just be single. Have some fun. Do your Veronica-ing. It's going to be great. Um, but it's, you have to have that freedom. You have to have that mobility because I think what becomes so is it becomes this like like if you're with someone for an extended period of time like Dante was with Caitlin he's like I've been with her for five years I've been with Veronica for seven months and it's like he's weighing them out like he's weighing money on a scale like I've put in so much time with Veronica with the Caitlin that I the, the time with Veronica means nothing as opposed to being like Veronica treats me wonderfully Caitlin treated me like garbage and cheated on me as he says eight and a half times to be honest I can't when he's when he's recounting the story of how he passed out drunk and Caitlin had sex with him because she thought he was somebody else. That's nine. <laughs> that was a lot. That was a lot to like listen to. And what what's so amazing is that Randall as a best friend, because Randall's been part of Dante's life for it's not established how long, but at least since high school, at least since freshman year. Yeah. So he's seen Dante go through everything. And and, and that's why, like, at the end of the movie, when they get into that gigantic fight and they're just laying in the pile of, like, candy, it's it, it's not like Randall's angry. He's just, like, he's, like, what he's angry most about is that Dante refuses to accept responsibility for the actions and consequences of his life. And I feel that that's something that a lot of people struggle with. If something goes wrong in their life, it's never something like, like, if, you know, with Dante, he hates his job and everyone treats him like garbage. And Randall's, like, quit and find a better paying one. He's like, I can't do that. Why can't you? And he literally like throws, like he gets up and he like throws his arms and he's like, I can't, I don't want to. And like, and it's just, yeah, it's amazing because it's the, the inability for this man to see how ironic he is acting. You absolutely have the ability. You, you are making the conscious choice. Like Randall says, you are making the conscious choice to talk to Caitlyn every night. He found out before Caitlyn even got in that there was a engagement reference in the paper. And like, he could have been like, no, I'm not talking. Like she could have come in and been like, nope. Don't get the fuck out of my store and just cut her off right there. Every choice that Dante has made is a conscious decision. At no point was anyone dictating his life and saying, okay, make make this choice and, and now be this way and now do that. And Randall's calling out his bullshit in just the best friend way he can. Like, yeah. he's, it's, not, it's not malicious. He's not there to hurt Dante, but he's like, you need to stop acting like all of the ills in your life are somebody else's problem and somebody else's fault. The only time... He 
constantly another reason he is the audience like audience's aspiration is because he keeps his cool all the time he is super chill all the time like nothing bothers him and the only time something bothers him is when he has had it with dante's shit he throws something at him and starts like screaming at him. Yeah, and I mean, what he even says is so. This and then this he's goes like, into oh, fuck you, pal. And, and this is goes into the Jay and Silent Bob characters. But he's like, at least Jay and Silent Bob know what they're about. They're not. They don't have any pretense. They don't have any falsities. This like they like having sex. They like selling drugs, and they like pissing around in front of a store. And they don't pretend to be something other than that. And I think that's what makes. Like, and I think that was the reason for Jay and Silent Bob's inclusion in every single film after that one, Mm -hmm. because Jay and Silent Bob are kind of these, these stoic characters in the sense that they do not change. They're rigid in the sense that they're just fine. They don't care that like, like, it's, it's just so interesting to see because I was looking at it and I'm like, oh my God, Jason Mewes is a baby. (laughs) He was a child. He was like 19 years old when that was filmed. No. And like it's it's amazing so much just because uh like his whole like his friendship with Silent Bob is very much like one of those friendships that you're like, yeah, one's a very like loud, obnoxious piece of shit guy, and his best friend's like, Yeah, I love him. I wouldn't change him for the world. And you're just like, that is that is truly my hetero life mate. Like <laughs> Oh I love God. I love a lot of just these characters that Kevin Smith created are are so real and they and like Clerks is one of the most quotable like movies I think in the viewers universe in the sense that like you know like uh, this job would be great if it weren't for the customers yeah like I think everybody was like oh yeah that's the same that's a hard mm-hmm, I'm not even gonna disagree I have <laughs> said I have said that at my retail jobs I've I've said that to my coworkers and they've all like died because that's how we all feel (laughs) exactly and and this repeated line of i'm not even supposed to be here today that's something that i have said myself when i'm called in and you always feel like the worst shit happens on days when you're not supposed to be there like they left specifically because they knew shit was going to hit the fan that day and it's not the case i think a lot of it is just like there's these preconceptions of like you know you believe the worst is going to happen because you had other plans and those plans went sideways whereas at the end of the film Dante goes, yeah, I'm going to call out tomorrow. I want to visit Caitlin in the hospital. Okay. So you could have done the same thing today, Dante. <laughs> I I know that every time I, every time, every single time I hear that line, I'm just like, well, then why did this movie happen? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's the point. The reason this movie happened is because Dante was like, oh, I don't want to. And then I bet you his boss on the other end was like, listen, I mean... Arthur's sick, and I'm, I'll, I'll be in a 12, I promise. And I have been called in, the reason I will always go into work is because money is great. Money is lovely. I love money. <laughs> and That's if, a- I'm, if I'm called in on my day off, most people, I think, especially like, you know, people who are living on their own or trying to save up for something, they'll go in and get those hours. Yeah, no, if I, um, if I've ever been in a position where I've absolutely needed the money and I've been called in on my day off, like, you, you bet your ass I'm going in, like, without a doubt. Even and if bosses it's for know that. Hours. Bosses absolutely know that and take advantage of it. They're like, oh, this person called out, but I can call this person because I know they mostly pick up shifts. <laughs> and that's yeah, what they exa- do. Exactly. I think that, um, uh, there, there are so many, like, there are so many like darker elements of this film like of this film too like 
I just, um, have you ever seen the alternate ending of this movie? I actually don't think I have. What is the alternate ending? Basically, the quick stop gets robbed and Dante gets shot. Whoa! That is much darker than I was expecting. Test audiences hated it, so they did the, the ending that thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna err on the side of caution and agree with them, just because. Uh, now, now I'm not, I'm not here to say that like you know, pe- obviously people rob bodegas and delis and and convenience stores all of the time. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna err on the side of caution and be like, yeah, that's a, that's a different kind of movie. That's a different film. Uh, this would end, like, if this were, like, you know, uh, the Virgin Suicide, you're like, I was expecting a sad note. But it's not. It's very much the whole film is kind of setting up to be this this very, like, black comedy kind of way, but not in a, like, ah, uh, somebody dies. Well, I mean, somebody did die. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't know how to end it. That's why he originally came up with this ending, because he was like, I don't know how to end this movie. So I'm just going to go for, like, the dark route. And then test audiences were like, mm, I don't know about that. So, yeah, so we're going to take that back. I, I mean, the way it does end is perfect. It's Randall and Dante just talking. And then Randall grabs the I assure you we're open tarp, says, throws it in, and goes, you're closed. And, like, that is, when I tell you that is the most natural ending I could have imagined, not just for that movie, but, like, if this were if these were my real friends and I was really in that store, that's just how you would talk. Like you'd be that asshole. Yes, I just got into a big fist fight with my friend, but you're close. Like it's amazing. And it's just like the I assure you we're open. That's something that's played out in in businesses everywhere. Like it's amazing. And I love I love so much that, that the ending is not something that's this big cinematic conclusion or, or like these big deep thoughts. It's just kind of like what are you doing tomorrow? Hey, I'm working. You? I think I'm going to call out. And it's the end of the day. That's it. It's the end of the day. Um, Nothing's crazy. I mean, yes, it's been a crazy day, but I think anybody can say that when we've had crazy days, they always end pretty calmly. You know, we always go back home. We're laying in bed and we're like, you know, well, fuck. All right. Today was awful. Like, eventually, every bad day ends. Every weird day ends. Every day ends in some sort of solace, I think. Mm-hmm. And some sort of quiet with your friends. It, like, started with the buddies, essentially. Well, you know, um, Randall is, like, appears, like, maybe 10, 15 minutes into the movie. But, like, it starts with Dante and Randall and ends with Dante and Randall. Yeah. And, like, it starts the precedent of the sort of two best friends model that um, Kevin Smith has in all of his movies, and they increasingly get gayer as the movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also speaking of gayer, I'm just this is going to quickly transition. So at the end of the credits, it says Jay and Silent Bob will return in Dogma, which was the next film he released. Correct? No, no, he had Chasing Amy and Mallrats in between those two. Yeah, but they were both. In- oh, I said I'm getting angry at Kevin Smith. You have messed up. <laughs> Well, they were both, yeah, he messed up, but they were both in, um, uh, but Jane, Jane, Silent Bob, yeah, were in Mallrats, and then were in Chasing Amy, and then, uh, were in Dogma. Dogma. I, I, I think what's so lovely, though, is, is saying Jay and Silent Bob will return in, and that was something that I'd never noticed, number one, uh, but I also never noticed it because 
it, it's just like, how often do people watch till the end of the credits? Oh, is it 2020 and there have been 88 Marvel movies? Yeah, we're all watching till the end. Um, oh my God. So we're, we all wait and we all wait till the end of a Marvel movie and it says like, you know, Doctor Strange will return or, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy will return in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and you're just like, oh, of course they will. But this is something I, I have, like now I'm going to have to go back to like 1993, 1992, 1991 and be like, all right, let's see if this trope appears anywhere else. Because if it doesn't, that means che Kevin Smith created the trope. And, uh, and I was talking to friends last night and I was talking about, you know, how I feel Kevin Smith uh, like created so many things like this discourse about, you know, overanalyzing a film. And, and they went, oh, he was ahead of the curve. And I said, was he ahead of the curve or did he create it? I don't know. I feel like I that's feel a fair. I feel like in terms of you know like like geek geek films that discuss geekery, you know, discuss nerddom. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. He was he was ahead. He was definitely he definitely created the curve. I actually watched a film in which um the other day uh, I rewatched a movie. I rewatched Donnie Darko, and um that is about many things, but there is one scene. <laughs> it's about, it's about a kid. That's it. You're fine. You don't need to arrest. <laughs> it's, it's too complicated. Like we need like five podcasters. Like, <laughs> so, we should do that movie one day, but, um, oh, man. um, one, um, one aspect of the film is, um, Donnie completely overanalyzing the dynamic of Smurfette in the Smurfs. Cause his friends are all like, are all like Smurfette has an orgy with the Smurfs and he's like actually Smurfette was created by Gargamel as a spy and like kind of goes into this whole thing and I was so reminded when I was watching Clerks I was so reminded of this rant and Donnie Darko was released what year 2001 oh pff, yeah please I mean a lot of that a lot like like you know you look at Freaks and Geeks or anything like that that discusses all that it really does it really didn't appear until the late 90s 2000s and then it was starting to become more commonplace and like so I, I just wanted to revisit this point because I know we talked about Arrested Development and I wanted to talk about Arrested Development in terms specifically with Gen X because Dante, Randall, Veronica, Caitlin, Jay, and Silent Bob are all specifically Gen X. I had to look up what the differentiating features were between no, they're generations. All, they're all Gen X. Um, um, and 1981 is the start of Millennials. So yes. if, if even if they were born in 80, um, even if they were born in 81, it wouldn't be old enough for the uh, events of the film. So they're all they're all solidly Gen X. And, uh, and what's so crazy is I feel that for a lot of uh, Gen Xers, it kind of does feel like you're, you know, like this movie is, is very much a, a snapshot of your of your existence as an, a young adult because you were before the like the, the really widespread use of internet, cell phones, any kind of technology, which is why like that scene when she's like, oh, you're Dean. And like, he's like, oh, you're Heather. And like everybody, you had no idea what anyone looked like because you only had these word of mouth stories between you and your high school classmates. And so like, once you heard that story, you were like, oh yes, this is Heather. Oh yes, this is, and like you could put it together. And it's, and this, and when I say arrested development, I mean it in the sense that like, I feel that, that working hard for, you know, for something, or or what have you like Dante is like I'm you know I'm comfortable right here but that's because something better will come along at some point it's very much this like like this boomer mindset that they passed on to their children they're like you or the greatest generation passed on to their children depending on who who gave birth when um and it's just that you know good things will happen you just have to wait <laughs> and because that's the point the reason you know the economy thrived in the 40s 50s and 60s was due to 
you know, bigger governmental things. In the 80s and 90s, it was just kind of like, I mean, I remember when my mom got married in 87, the stock market crashed in October, like while they were on their, my mom and dad were on their honeymoon. And she was like, oh, look, the stock market crashed. Oh my God. And it was like the way she used to tell that story. Like I, I can't imagine, because when I, when the stock market crashed again, fucking ever, um, every three weeks or so, um, I was, I was 18. I was 18 uh, during the Great Recession and I'm almost 30 now. So this is exciting twice yay um but but it's i feel that millennials can't use that arrested development we can't say it's not fair things won't get better because they won't they really won't because it's just in this moment of just like complete chaos and anarchy and we've got to do best for ourselves not because like you know our parents will be like it'll be okay one day um because i'm certain a lot of parents have been like it'll be fine just got to stick it out and i think a lot of millennials are just like uh no i i've watched you guys it's not gonna get better um whereas gen x didn't have those things you know they had you know, I mean, when the stock market crashed in 87, you know, they were teenagers, 20s, but, you know, nothing nothing to the point where they're like, oh, this is affecting me. And then as time went on and these big drastic changes happened over, you know, industry like, like computers, like cell phones, any sort of like big increases in the technology sector, it was kind of just they were like, well, this isn't my fault in the same way that Dante is. He's very much stuck in the this isn't my fault. I didn't do this. I was I was trying for something else, which is why Clerks 2 is just, it just makes a ton of sense because I can tell you, I can think of at least three Gen X men who, you know, in their 50s right now, and they're just not happy in life. I'm related to a few of them. Um, <laughs> and they're just not happy. They think that this was something that was stolen from them, that, that the ability to succeed in life was stolen. And and it's just, it's this yeah. idea that it's, it's, I think Dante's in that same mindset. And he was thinking it in 92, 93, 94, you know, Dude, in those have, years. Yeah, no, we, I have a cousin who, um, he was like the first cousin of my family. And he's like, he's Gen X, like solidly Gen X. And he squandered his life. Like, he, I mean, no generation is a golden generation or a forgotten generation. We're all very aware of everyone, but like, like I'm not forgetting Gen Xers. It's just that, that oh, they love they love to think they're forgotten. Oh God, I swear. It and it's it's more like you know they, they they very much like I mean it's it's every generation has its drawbacks and its successes. There's just no way to say this one is the best and this one had it the worst. It's just because we all use this this lens of. I'm suffering right now, but, uh, but I, I'm not suffering right now, but I suffered a lot when I was younger. So how dare you complain about your station in life right now when stations in life constantly change, especially due to how fast the world works. And like, well, I understand Dante's complaints about how shitty customers are. And I have been there in my life. I have had people yell at me. I've had people yell at me for the stupidest things. I offered a woman five free coupons because she didn't have any and she was angry at me because she didn't have any. And I kept apologizing and like, it was, it was the most ridiculous thing. I feel very much that I identify with Dante and that overly apologetic, I have to change my life type of like, I have to change my attitude type of situation to appease others as opposed to myself. And it's, it's just something that I grew out of though. I grew out of the sense of like, I, I must appease everyone else in my life. Like appease the right people, appease your higher ups. You know, if somebody's angry on the phone, yeah, okay, I, I apologize for that. Is there anything I can do to help? Like just very much remove yourself from the situation. Like if I were Dante currently right now working in a convenience store and people started pelting me with cigarettes, I'd be like, you guys know you spent money on that, right? <laughs> um, and now they're mine and I'm going to smash them into the floor because it's, 
Like I see, you know, now retail workers are standing up for themselves. They are calling out other bullshit, especially now states are reopening and people are going fucking insane. They're, you know, left, right and center, just like yelling at somebody how, how this person, you know, this isn't right or this is wrong. And retail workers and food service workers are finally standing up for themselves. And I'm here for it. I'm very much here for like, if there's an increase in rights, I need it in that group of like workers because they are just so important and they are literally a foundation of society. And instead of saying like, you know, <laughs> instead of instead of thinking that you can talk about your stupid tabloids for 45 minutes, um, just spit in their face, Randall. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just fucking spit. And I love it. And I, and, you know, I, I'm hoping that, that more movies like Clerks, instead of movies, it's just like action. You know, we get more Randalls. We get more people who are completely, you know, unashamed to be who they are. They, they're aware of their station in life. And instead of just complaining about it, they go, I do what I can with what I got now. And if you don't like it, fuck off. And honestly, yeah, like, we get more Randalls and we get more Dantes who listen to their Veronicas, like... Exactly. And we get more Veronicas in general. Who yeah. doesn't love Veronica? Um, she's so she's so good. Like, I truly feel like Dante is, like, the anti-hero of the story and, like, Veronica's the real hero of the story. Absolutely. I mean, Dante is your protagonist in the sense that he's your main character, but in that same sense, Randall's also your antagonist. And he's not necessarily your villain. No, he's not. And I love that. Ugh. I love, I love writing that really you, you sit, I mean, I first watched Clerks when I was 19. I watched it again a couple of times in my 20s. And then to watch it again at 30, you're just like, man, it hits different every time. Kind of like PBR. <laughs> Except in the opposite way. Like when you're 19 and you drink PBR, you're like, this is the best beer I've ever had in my life. And then you're 30 and you're like, who gave me piss water? <laughs> That's because the, the PBR that you had at 19 <laughs> is constitutionally different than the PBR you're having at 30. <laughs> but in the same way, your brain is kind of reconstructed clerks. When you're 19, you go, um, Randall's an asshole, I love Dante, and Veronica's a bitch. And then you watch it again at 30, and you're like, wow, what? I cannot believe how wrong I was. It's like, it's like Dante's a dumbass, Randall is who I aspire to be, and Veronica's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I just, uh so good. So good. Every part of it is just, I think it's, I think that's the thing is, well, it's not aged perfectly. It's definitely aged in the sense that it does give a lot of perspective to the viewer, especially as the older the viewer gets. And I love that. Oh yeah. No, I, I definitely like when I have kids, like when they're old enough to see this film, because I probably saw this film too young. <laughs> oh, I was like 14. I mean, I mean, I, I watched it, yeah, I mean, to be to be honest, the first rated R film I saw was like 14, 15, and it was Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, another movie about Gen Xers, but very different in the sense that Romy and Michelle are very fine with their, like, station in life, and then they realize when people start questioning how can they be happy, how can they do it, they're like, I'm happy because I'm happy. Oh, I love Romy. I'm gonna watch Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Awesome. All right. Well, that has been our podcast. Um, thank you so much for listening this week. Uh, we hope you're staying safe and we hope you are living up to your potential. And if you're a service worker, thank you so much for everything that you do. Absolutely. You're a badass. We love you. And I hope, I hope that eventually, and by eventually, I mean within the next three days or so, that they decide that they're just going to raise all your wages because you all deserve so much more than you're getting. And I'm speaking as someone who was in that position and the bullshit y'all put up with is just uh, $15 an hour minimum. 
<laughs> Honestly, fuck applause. Give you that cash, bitch. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, again, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.